Welcome to the fifth episode of Going Yard with the Goats, a minor league baseball podcast presented by the Trash Can League Network, dedicated to all things Hartford Yard Goats. I am your host, Dan Stones. In today's episodes, we'll be reviewing the last series against Reading, our future series against Portland, and saying hello to another two players, both outfielders actually. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the fourth, or is it now fifth? Uh, who knows? Anyways, welcome to the next episode of Going Yard with the Goats, a minor league baseball podcast presented by the Trash Can League Network. I'm your host, In Sones, and we have three topics today, same as normally. We're going to review the past series against uh, the Reading Fighting Phillies. Uh, topic two is the upcoming series against Portland. And then the third topic is to welcoming new players. So let's get started. Game one, uh, it was a four, nothing win. Noah Godis did very well. Five innings pitched, three hits, zero earned runs, four walks, and three strikeouts. Again, he could limit the walks. We talked about this last episode, but he did well nonetheless. Blair Calvo did about average, 0.2 innings pitched, zero hits, zero earned runs, one walk, and one strikeout. Phineas Stobonta-Smith did pretty good, especially as a relief pitcher. You like to see that from our new guys. Did amazing 2.1 innings pitched, zero hits, zero earned runs, zero walks, and five strikeouts. Stefan Jones did well as well, but like Goditz could limit the walks some more. One innings pitched, zero hits. Zero earned runs, but three walks and two strikeouts. Now let's talk about how we scored those four runs. In the bottom of the first, Michael Togliatt hits a home run to left field to make it his eighth of the season. In the bottom of the second, Montano, the new guy that we're going to talk about later, he singles to center field. William McIver singles to center field again. Montano goes to second. Daniel Co- After Daniel Crow grounds out to third base, which turns out to be a fielder's choice, McIver is out at second, but a throwing error by the second baseman, Kevin Vicuña of the Reading Fighting Phils, caused one run to score and Cope to reach first base. Isaac Collins doubles to left field and also scores one run. In the bottom of the six, Bretton Doyle hits a home run to left center field, making it his seventh of the entire campaign this season. Again, you're going to see a theme of this episode. A lot of home runs being hit. Hartford is utilizing that power, especially since Dunkin' Donuts Park is the smallest field in the league. Now, here's the fun note. This is Daniel Montano's first game as yard goat. He went three for four with one run and one strikeout. Now, game two. Again, this is going to be seven innings. This game and the next game, seven innings. So take it with a grain of salt. We lost both of them. The first loss was four to one. But good news, it was a complete game. Bush did great. Three earned runs, but in nine innings is really good. Eight hits, one walk, eight strikeouts, and one home run. And then only one run, which is very disappointing. In the bottom of the fourth, Hunter Stovall doubles the center field. After Tovar strikes out, Michael Togley hits into a fielder's choice, which moves Stovall to third, gets Togley out, and then Shunk, front of the podcast, Aaron Shunk, singles to center field, which scores one run. And then the fun note here, it's the first complete game of the season. And the Yard Goats are on a new, uh, on a team high record. 
Nobody, not even me, expected Hartford to be this good this year. And you're going to see in topic two, how I'm going to go on that wave of Hartford being first in the league soon, as some, as some of you have heard from rumors. Now in game three, we lost in seven innings, but it was one nothing. It was so close. We could have came back in the ninth, but we did, or in the seventh, but we didn't. Michael Baird did really good in four innings pitched with three hits, one earned run, one walk, and six strikeouts. And the only run was scored by a home run. Riley Pint did fine in one innings pitched, one hit, one strikeout. And then PJ Pullen did the best thing you could do, one innings pitched, three strikeouts. So every battery face was a strikeout. Now, Gavin Hollowell was really solid. As a closer to, again, our closer should always be the best. Howell did show why he gained that role. Because in one innings pitch, zero hits, but two strikeouts. Again, no runs have scored. So let's go straight to the fun note. Even though Hartford and Riding have the same amount of hits, the Yard Goats had more walks and less strikeouts too. This just proves that the Yard Goats were unlucky this game. If we have more hits, more walks, and less strikeouts, if it was a full nine innings, I could see the yard goes playing away with the win on that one. But we didn't. But good news, that was the last loss of the series. So in game four, it was a win nine to four. Noah Davis said, okay, uh, three hits, four earned runs, four walks, five strikeouts, one home run. He gave up four walks. He needs to limit the walks. And there were more earned runs than hits. You don't really want to see that because of all those walks. But we still won the game. It doesn't really matter. Will Gatiss was solid too, though no strikeouts, walks, or hits in one innings pitched. Trent Fennell showed some good stuff too. Zero hits, zero earned runs, zero walks, and two strikeouts. So let's talk about how we scored those runs. Bottom of the second. Taglia shows some speed for a first baseman with a hit to the second base. After McIver hits a line drive to second base, Dotchers doubles to center field, which scores one run. Collins walks. Then something weird happened. Arguably the best player of the reading fight in Phillies, Logan Oho, number five in the Phillies organization, made a throwing error to a pickoff attempt. One run scores. Collins goes to second. Soval then singles to left field, scores another run. Total of three runs scored and a total of three hits and two walks that inning. That was the bottom of the second. In the bottom of the third, Heron singles to the pitcher. The pitcher, Noah Skura, gets injured being hit by the ball. Doyle walks, which moved Heron to second. Taglia walks, which makes the bases loaded. And after Willie McIver speeds out, Kyle Dotras, the speed guy, the guy we put in as our pinch runner, Hits a grand slam for his fifth home run of the season to left center field, which scores four runs and two hits and two walks. In the bottom of the fourth, Tovar hits his 11th home run to left center field. Again, this guy should win the MVP this year if he performs as well as he's doing right now as a 20-year-old. It is very amazing to see what he's doing. He scores in that run for one hit, zero walks that inning, and it scored one run. In the bottom of the fifth, McIver hits uh, his ninth home run to left center field, scores run, one run, one hit, one walk, and again, his one run. Now, a fun note. With this game, Tovar leads the entire league in hits with 59. Again, 
MVP caliber here. Now, one thing to note is you can see a theme with all the home runs. If you really want a home run at Dunkin' Donuts Park, I recommend it being in left center field. It's usually closed off uh, for private events, but especially on the weekdays, there's nobody there. It is usually, um, it's deserted basically there. And that's where all the home runs get hit. So if you really want to get a home run, I would stand in that section. Now, game five, it was a win, seven to five. Carl Kaufman did well in five innings pitch. Five hits, one earned run, two walks, three strikeouts, and one home run. You'd like to see more strikeouts than three, but he did fine, and his only earned run was a home run. Now, Riley Pint was the opposite of Kaufman. Both did well with one innings pitch, one hit, one walk, but Pint had three strikeouts, so all the outs he pitched were strikeouts. That's amazing to see. Dugan Darnell struggled massively. 0.1 innings pitch, so he only faced one batter, three hits, four earned runs, two walks, zero strikeouts, and one home run. Very rough start. You don't want to see it from Dugan Darnell. Uh, I know he's been used as a middle relief pitcher, and we have plenty of those, but we still got to use him every couple of games. So you don't want to worry about how well your middle relief pitcher does late in the game. Stephen Jones was pretty good with two innings pitched, five hits, one earned run, two walks, three, three strikeouts, and one home run. P.J. Poland was outstanding, striking out everyone he faced in 0.2 innings pitched. And yeah, that wraps up the game. That's how they scored five runs. Here's how we scored our seven runs. Bottom of the fourth, Doyle walks. And after Aaron Chunk grounds out to first base, which moves Doyle to second base, Michael Togley hits a home run to left field for his ninth of the season, and it scores two runs. The bottom of the fifth, Nico DiGalotti. He walks. Stovall singles to center field, moving DiGalotti to second base. And after Montano flies out to center field, which moves Decolati to third base. Tovar hits him to a fielder's choice, but everyone is safe. Uh, Stovall moves to second base and has scored one run. After Dotris grounds out to third, Stovall moves to third and Tovar moves to second. Doyle singles to the third base, scores two runs for three hits, one walk, and three runs. In the bottom of the sixth, Nico Decolati triples off the wall in center field. And Hunter Stovall singles to center field, which scores one run. Bottom of the eighth, Aaron Shunk hits his sixth home run, sixth home run to left field. And of course, that was the only run scored in that inning. So that's how we scored those seven runs. But a fun note to mention this game was sold out with more people in attendance than capacity at Dunkin' Donuts Park, which is around 6,600. And they all saw the third base coach get ejected for a blatantly obvious call. So this is referring back to that Dicolati triple off the wall in the sixth, bottom of the sixth inning. Dicolati hits the homer, uh, not homer, the triple, all the way f f as far back as he can on the warning track. And, Dicol and the, the center fielder, don't know his name, he bobbles the ball. So the arguable call is, did the ball touch the wall when he was trying to catch it? Because he did maintain possession, but only after it was in the air for a couple of seconds. The umpire said it did hit the wall, which, looking back at the tapes, I do agree with. I do think it hit the wall, so I do think the umps were right. But, again, it wasn't the best angle. And if that's the case, then Dekalai's triple would not have counted, meaning Stovall's single would not have counted. 
So it would be six to five. We'd still get the win though. Now, finally, the last game of this series, game six, it was a win, seven to two. Kilkenny comes back off the IL right after injury. He was used as the opener for the game. Now, the difference between an opener and a starter, if you don't know, is an opener pitches not too many innings, but at the start of the game. So I remember in the 2018 wildcard game in the major leagues, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers used an opener against the LA Dodgers, and they used that uh, opener to kind of flip the lineup for the Dodgers to be more left-handed friendly because the pitch on the mound was right-handed. Now, turns out Brewers knew that. So after one innings pitch, they switched out to their starter, who was the opposite hand. And that is how they won that game. Now, was the Yargo thing about that? No, they were just trying to ease Kilkenny back into the game. But for all you know, that's what an opener is for. They don't really pitch too many innings, but they pitch it at the start of the game. Uh, he pitched about average, two innings pitched, four hits, one earned run, and one home run. Noah Gotitz, uh, who pitched most of the innings in this game, uh, three innings pitched, four hits, and three strikeouts. Benisto Bonta-Smith was under expectation as he gained about a run in two hits and two innings pitched. Jared Bill, uh, Biddy was a walking machine, two walks, zero strikeouts, and one innings pitched. But no runs or hits, so I guess that's fine. Gavin Howell showed his closer stuff again, obviously, with zero hits, one strikeout, and one innings pitched. Now, the fun note. This is more of a personal note, but I went to this game, and I actually met a fan here. So I'd like to to, uh, give a shout-out to uh, the listener of the podcast, Jack. Thank you for listening. And if you guys are going to a game and you see on my Instagram account that I'm going to the game as well, Try to find me. Uh, I will say hi. I can definitely give you a shout out on that next episode as well. Anyways, that wraps up the first topic of the recap of the uh, last series against the Reading Fight and Phils. And now let's go to our second topic where we go to our upcoming series against Portland. So the second topic of this upcoming series against Portland, again, we always start with our probable starters. So I have here what well, Portland already announced who they are projected to uh, put out on the mound every single day this week. Hartford has not done that. I don't think they usually do that. So let's go with the seventh, which is the Tuesday. Nick Bush versus Brett Kennedy. Wednesday, Michael Bayard versus Chris Murphy. Thursday, Noah Davis against Jay Groom. Then we have Friday, Carl Coffin versus Kyle Hart. Saturday, Mitchell Kilkenny versus Victor Santos. And finally, to wrap it up, Nick Bush against Bart Kennedy again. Now let's talk about some top prospects for Portland. At number five, I have their number 27 prospect who just got called up from high A. Uh, he played for the Greenville Drives, uh, Drive, I believe. His name is Sedan Rafaela. He is a utility player. Number four is their number 26 prospect, Christian Cost, their shortstop. Number three doesn't really count, but I like to mention number 15, Taylor Ward. He's a starting pitcher. I say he doesn't count because he's on the injured list for, I would probably say, the entire season. So uh, you could see him in the last month or two, but he won't be facing Hartford anytime soon. Number two, number 11, Jay Groom, starting pitcher. And then number one, number uh, number 10 in their system, Chris Murphy, who's also starting pitcher. 
So if you're not familiar with the Red Sox system, especially at AA, they are more pitcher heavy. And you'll notice that the uh, pitching rotation is really stacked. Now, let's talk about some notable non-top prospects for Portland. At number four, because they only have like four notable guys, I have Brett Kennedy, starting pitcher. He is zero for one, but he has a two ERA. In two games, he started one of those games. In nine innings pitched, four strikeouts with a 0.89 whip. Now, these are pretty good numbers, except for the fact that he only has nine innings pitch. I'd like to see him pitch some more games before any of us can make a decision on how well he is uh, becoming. So I'm holding him off to four now, but he gets an honorable mention. Number three, Will Dalton, their left fielder. In 67 at-bats, 16 hits, three home runs, nine RBIs, three stolen bases for a slash line of 239, 333, and 448 for a total OPS of 781. Next up, number two, Victor Santos, starting pitcher. He's five for four with a 3.94 year, right? So that's about average, 11 games, 10 games started, uh, 61.2 innings pitched, 42 strikeouts with a 1.07 whip. Again, the ERA is about average, but at least he's consistent. Again, this is the only starting pitcher besides Kennedy on this list because a lot of their top prospects are is a part of their starting pitching rotation. Then you have Devin Granberg, their outfielder, who's been really good this year. 135 at-bats, 41 hits, only one home run, but 10 RBIs, four stolen bases for a slash line of 304, 427, and 467 for a total OPS of 894. So that's the notable non-top prospects for Portland. Now let's look at the Eastern League standings. Now, since these are two Northeast teams playing, let's only look at the Northeast division. Now at number six, you have Binghamton. I thought Binghamton would go far this year. Apparently not. Uh, turns out three players can't make a team that good. So it's basically like the Angels last year and the year before that, and the year before that, and the year before that. But if the Binghamton is like the Angels reading is a young team like the Seattle Mariners. I know I compared them to Hartford, but reading is very promising in the near future. They definitely turned it around. Um, I'm very happy that they put up a fight against Hartford. That's for sure. Four to two could have been three to three with some arguable calls, especially in game five on that Saturday. Number four, New Hampshire. They definitely turned it around 23 and 27. They used to be in fourth. Now they turned it around or sorry, they used to be in fifth. Now they turned it around to being fourth. Then you have back to back the two people, uh, the two teams playing in this week. Portland with a 24 and 27 record, and then Hartford with a 32 and 19 record. Big gap between the two. Hartford almost number one in this division. Portland under 500. So you definitely have the bottom four teams and the top two teams, and there's a huge gap in between both. And finally, you have Somerset with a 32 and 18 record. So yes, Hartford and Somerset do have the same amount of wins. It's just Somerset played one less game. So if they turn out to be the loss, then Hartford and Somerset are tied. Now let's talk about some series predictions. On Tuesday, I predict a loss, 6-4. Bush has been average, and Kennedy needs more starts to determine how good he is. But the players will be tired after a long trip to Portland, especially since it's all by car, or at least by bus. So the big arms will be saved this game. Now on Wednesday, I predict a win, 9-1. Baird has been surprisingly good and under the radar this year. Murphy has also looked good, 
but the Portland offense is really, really, really bad. Uh, so their bullpen could blow up after using their big arms in game one. On Wednesday, I predict a loss, 12-4. to four. So Davis is either really, really good or really, really bad in the starts. There is no in-between. So I'm predicting a really, really bad start for Davis. And then Portland's hitting with the new addition of uh, Rafaela should improve by the end of the week. Now, meanwhile, Hartford's lineup should start to cool down again with his last season Hart, uh, against Reading. They were outstanding on the offense, so they might need to cool it down a little bit. On Friday, a win, 5-4. to four. Kaufman has been amazing in Hartford. And then Hart, who has been struggling of late, needs to prove to the White Knot or the Red Sox organization to not cut him because he just recently got demoted from AAA Worcester. Now, the bullpen blows up in extras with the Hartford lineup hitting a home run like we always do. That's how we always score our runs. We always hit home runs for the only runs of the game for Hartford. Now, on Saturday, I predict the loss 8-2. to two. Kilkenny will probably pitch the game after recently coming off the IL. Again, I don't think Godis will be used as a starter in Kilkenny as the opener like we saw on Sunday. We'll probably see Godis as a long relief pitcher now. Uh, which is fine. Again, he was really good as a starter, but I understand that the Rockies organization wants to develop Gil Kenny more. Now, Santos is also a decent pitcher, and the bullpen for the Sea Dogs will mostly be used in this game. Now, finally, on Sunday, I predict a win, 3-1. to one. Bush is going to turn this around. Uh, while Kennedy has, has to pitch more innings than he can handle because he only pitched nine innings, so we don't really have a good decision on how well he is now although the lineup will start to uh be cool the yard goats bullpen will definitely be used in this game so the yard goats will only score three runs but portland will only score one run so that makes us take the win but you're probably wondering why am i predicting a three and three record for the this upcoming series well it's interesting because Again, I don't predict Hartford would have done this well. And uh, Hartford does struggle against really good pitching because they a lot of their team is focused on offense and especially home run hitting. And I know Hadlock Field, where the Portland Sea Dogs play, isn't really a home run hitting park. So we won't be as well as we did um, the last series against Reading. Now, Hartford... Uh, the Hartford, Somerset, Portland, New Hampshire, Reading, and Binghamton a week from now. I predict that in last place will be Binghamton with a 22-34 and 34 record. Fifth place, Reading with a 52-32 and 32 record. New Hampshire with a 26-30 and 30 record. Third place, Portland with a 27-30 and 30 record. And in second place, I predict Somerset with a 34-22 and 22 record. And in first place, I predict Hartford having a 32-22 and 22 record. Yes, I predict Hartford will be the new Eastern League standings winner after this upcoming series against Portland. And the only reason why I predict that is because Somerset is facing the team I predict that's going to make the postseason, which is Akron. Now, if Akron wins four out of the two, uh, four out of the six games, and we tie 3-3 with Portland, then that does mean... Since Hartford has played one more game, if we have one more win than Somerset, then we would have a 50, 
a 35 and 22 record, while Somerset would only have a 34 and 22 record, which does put us in first place. So yes, I know it's a little controversial, but that does wrap up our second episode. Uh, second, uh, sorry, the episode isn't over, guys. We still have one more topic left to go through. So, but that wraps up our second topic. So let's go to our third topic, which we will welcome two new players to Hartford. <laughs> to wrap up this third topic, we gotta uh, say hello to some new players going to Hartford. And there's two. There's two outfielders, but they're coming from different places. So for the first one, which happened about a week ago, left fielder Tyler Hill. Uh, Hill is the first player from Albuquerque to get demoted to Hartford this year. He struggled at the plate for Albuquerque with a .143, and a .143 slash line. Yes, his on-base was better than his slugging. That is not what you want to see from any guy, not even a contact guy. Um, for a .393 OPS. That is really, really bad. So far in Hartford, he is not doing so hot either. Now, if you don't know who Tyler Hill is, you shouldn't because there is this thing where minor league contracts are signed, right? So they, so some players for, the, um, for Albuquerque have never even played for Hartford. So if you never heard of this guy, you don't have to because he is here now. He, did, he played for the Red Sox and Yankees recently, though, uh, their minor league teams, but have never played for the Rockies organization up until this year. In 2014 and 2018, he's played for the Red Sox. In 2018 through 2019, he's played for the Yankees. And, the, uh, and he's also played for the Royals in 2019 through 2020. He has now signed a new contract for the 2022 season. So that does mean he has not played in 2021. So Hill... Uh, you could say he has really good contact of the bat when he makes contact of the bat. With a combination of gap power and very fast speed to get extra base hits. He doesn't have any home run power, though. He walks an average amount and doesn't really strike out. He can play left field pretty good, right field fine, and a little iffy at center field. But that's what you should get out of a corner uh, outfield guy. He does have the outfield range in the arm, but he makes a decent amount of errors. Now, if Hill continues to struggle for Hartford, he's more likely to be cut than demoted to Spokane, our high A affiliate. This is, again, because he started out in AAA, so the organization obviously had high hopes for him. So if he does struggle in Hartford, he is more likely to get cut. Now, that wraps up Tyler Hill's little bio. Now let's talk about Daniel Montano, which I'm really excited about. Now, he plays center field, but I think Hartford will use him more as a corner outfielder, like they're going to use Tyler Hill. Uh, he, Montano was the play of the month for Spokane, and he played very well. In 109 at-bats, 35 hits, 11 doubles, 4 triples, 1 home run, 22 RBIs, 20 walks, 25 strikeouts, and 1 stolen base for a slash line of 321, 420, and 523. For an OPS of 943. Yes, 943. That is really good. Nobody saw Montano pan out this good. So it's very exciting to see what his new floor, what his new ceiling will uh, turn out to be. Now, Montano doesn't have the best contact skills, but what he is best at and what he is known for is his gap power for extra base hits. He might have the best gap power for the extra base hits in the minors. It is that elite. He has little home run power, though, and could 
work on getting more walks and less strikeouts. But with the extra base hits, it couldn't it shouldn't be a surprise that he's a line drive hitter that pulls the ball often. He is average on the base pass, but can show signs of being really fast. Montano Lake Hill is best at left field, which he is almost gold glove caliber at. He can also play right field fine and can play center field decently, though he doesn't have the best arm. So yeah, that wraps up all three segments. Uh, we talked about Daniel Montano, Tyler Hill for topic three. We talked about topic two, our uh, upcoming series against Portland. And the first topic, recapping the past series against Reading. So yeah, so if you like this episode, make sure that you follow it. Follow me on Instagram at Going Yard with the Goats, or follow the Trash Can League Network on Instagram. Yes, they have an Instagram account now too. I'm also on another podcast going called Out in Left Field. I'm only on a couple episodes there, but it's a part of the same organization. And yeah, if you if you like this, make sure to share with everyone and see you guys next time. Bye.